All right, people, we are live. It is Sunday night. We got a little bit of an in-between night between HBO shows. So Last of Us wrapped up last week. Succession begins next week. So we've got this one small window to go for <laughs> it. I was uh, I was upstate celebrating my dad's birthday today. Ironically enough, I know it's also Father's Day over in Portugal, so I just wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day as well. Joao, a.k.a. Onyolo from Onyolo Movie Blogs, is back once again to join me for our third feature in double feature month here over at the talking tv podcast march madness we are covering ted lasso the premiere of the third and potentially final season as well as the release of the new the newest film in the never not confusing worlds of dc <laughs> cinematic universe shazam fury of the gods which has now been rendered completely pointless i don't think that anyone's got any illusions there yolo you ready to talk about these two things yeah, let's go. I'm ready. Yeah, let's let, have let, a lot let, to let, say. Let's, let, let's rip this band-aid off right now. This is the Talking TV podcast. All right, what is going on, people? We are going live on this Sunday night to talk about two big things that premiere. Like I said, March is just so jam-packed with content right now. I'm having a hard time keeping up. I still have three episodes left of that Amazon show, Swarm, you know, the new Donald Glover show, which is fantastic yeah. so far to catch up on. I watched the premiere of Ted Lasso earlier this week. I still have to finish Last of Us because I've been drastically behind. I still have that one episode left. I was barely able to squeeze in Shazam last week. There's two to three movies coming out every week and like I'm still trying to get prepped for everything just going into next week with John Wick so it, it, it's been just a mess completely so I figured it would be good to start this episode off with Ted Lasso you know get a little bit of positivity back in our lives you know Chris was unfortunately unable to make it I wanted to have him on for tonight's episode but just a you know scheduling mix up it just didn't end up happening but YOLO so first off good to have you back good to see you again how you been yeah, it's all been great. Uh, a lot of content, like you said, is always hard to keep everything. But like I told you before, I don't sleep a lot. So that gives me a bit of an advantage. Like it's 1.30 in the morning, like here in, in Portugal and still probably watching something after this. So, oh, yeah, but oh, yeah. there's a lot of interesting things coming out so we can't complain. Absolutely. No, it, that, that's the one thing I can say is that we, we can complain about the quality of the stuff that we get, but we can never complain that we are not getting anything. So when, whenever you have people out there that are saying, oh, well, you have nothing to watch. I'm like, OK, you, you guys clearly are not living in the same century as us because there yeah. was never, never not something to watch ever. So I, I think it's ironic that the last time that I had you on, we were talking about Black Adam. And now this time I have you on, we're going to be talking about Shazam later on. Like it's just the constant threads are just there. But so we wanted to start this episode talking uh, about Ted Lasso. You know, this is what I call a, a talking TV staple, you know, and that this is something that Chris and I really, really bonded over during COVID. You know, one, one of the original staples of the show, you know, among other things, you know, Stranger Things, Cobra Kai, a couple of other big things that we really bonded over. But this was one thing, you know, where this was a little show that was kind of the first that kind of turned into this massive juggernaut that became the staple of Apple TV Plus. You know, they were kind of banking on the morning show to do that you know because that was the big flashy you know news of the week kind of a thing you know it had a big sprawling cast and then this kind of little silly sports drama slash heart throb comedy starring Jason Sudeikis who uh repeating a character that he did for well I, what was it like like an, I don't remember what it was like like an SNL sketch commercial I believe was where it's at last one yeah, I think it was yeah I think it was something like that it was just like kind of a very short thing that he did on a SNL 
but yeah, but it's like it's it's a brilliant show, and that and that's like what I keep saying. If if the quality is there, it doesn't matter how much people push some of these big shows. If the quality is not there, they're not gonna get anywhere. And this show, I I think what he has, and and I think you hit the nail on the on the head when you said about the COVID. This was the kind of show that we needed during the COVID. Right. It was just very positive. It was just very like about hope, about like just dealing with the with the bad things in life with with a smile and positivity. And I think that's what got a lot of people into the show. And I think that's what's been carrying it on. And yeah. that's why at least I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it, it really was the show that we needed during COVID. Talk about a show that just embodies everything about like overcoming all obstacles, just reinforcing positivity, even when like all it seems like the entire world is against you when all the chips are down. You know, when we're in, like like when we're introduced to Ted, he is introduced kind of as like this happy-go-lucky kind of doofus where it's like again, like he's got this just never-ending bout of positivity, but you almost kind of feel bad about him for him because he's like when you realize that he is ultimately being led into a situation that that is setting him up to fail. You know, and, and the fact that he is kind of able to overcome that. And, and I, I think I talked about this with a lot of other people where famously when, when I first started the show, I didn't quite understand it. it. It's one of a couple things in the last couple of years that I did not understand at first, but I've come around to love where I'm like, I don't understand what this is supposed to be. I'm like, is this supposed to be a, a silly comedy? Is this supposed to be a sports drama? Is this supposed to be? A, I, like, I, I just the, the, the blending of tones was just something that it took for me to get used to. It wasn't until I watched the second season. At the and, and when that aired one year later in 2021, right when we were starting to come out of COVID, that things started to like really start to click for me. And I just realized how special this show was. Where the brilliance of the show comes from, it takes that uh, like, almost unbearable at times sense of just American optimism. You know, the, the kind of the, the you know, the, 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 the that that can do, never say no. Uh, you, you know, no, no problem is too big to overcome kind of mentality that, you know, that, that, that at least that at least the West has come to symbolize, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if they still do, but at the very least, that's what the idea of it was and mixing it in like this very cynical, very, you know, kind of kind of British atmosphere where you have all the dry wit, all the miserable cynicisms of, of the Brits and, and, and the clashing of those two tones is something that I never thought would be as good as it is, but it just, it works. Everything about this is just like completely works from like the, the, the quick wit to the, to the almost unbearable amount of optimism that comes in at points. And like every time Sudeikis cracks another silly one-liner, you think it's going to become more and more stupid, but it just gets better and better every single time. And how he progressively wins over each and every character that you meet throughout the course of that first season, you know, from Rebecca to Higgins, to Roy, to Keeley, to Jamie, to Nate, you know, and then obviously how the, how that goes, you know, and then how they were able to continue that into season two, where again, like so, so season one kind of ended on this surprising downer that was still able to like have like end on a slightly positive note, even though you're like, but they lost, and then season two is all about them slowly climbing back and all the obstacles that they overcome. It just shows that like Sudeikis and and and, and Bill Lawrence and Brendan Hunt, they all they all had this idea for these this three season arc really well fleshed out, which brings us into the premiere of the final season, uh, at least that, that that we can guess at, you know? So the, so they obviously said that originally it was only ever going to be three seasons. Uh, they said that from the beginning, they were never coy about that at all, but clearly it was in another situation where they had not at all realized that the show was going to blow up and be as popular as it was. So you have season two comes out, and season, well, first season one wins all the Emmys. It wins um, actor, it wins show, 
uh, sorry, it wins comedy, it wins actor for Sudeikis, it wins supporting actor and actress for Brett Goldstein and uh, Hannah Waddingham. And then one year later, it does the same thing minus the supporting actress. But so the, the show has arguably become a juggernaut. It's become like the must-watch show on Apple TV+. Plus. You know, every streamer, whenever they first pop up, they always need that must-watch show in order to, uh, you know, drag in eyeballs. And Ted Lasso was that for Apple TV+. Plus. And... So now you have the beginning of this third season. We had a we had a two year gap in between this season and last season. The last season wrapped up in October of 2021. Uh, this new season just premiered this past week on Tuesday, and I mean, right from the opening scene, you could tell that like this is gearing up for totally a drastically different show. You know, with with Nate the Great's fall, uh, fall from grace, obviously at the end of last season when he when he stabbed Ted in the back by leaking the story about his mental anxiety to the independent. Um, and then obviously, you know, now he has been recruited by Rupert and is now coaching uh, the, their rival team, West Ham, which has kind of set a lot of the characters into like, this quite frankly, like um, interesting spot where they're now for the first time starting from the bottom and having to work their way back up, but not in the way that they did in season two, you know, where season two, you have this position of where, they're kind of trying to get back something that was taken from them. And now they're in a position to like finally succeed and the whole world is against them. And most of the time, I feel like, I feel like in a lesser show, it would do that thing of where it's like, Oh, the entire world is against you. So you're just going to still remain optimistic about it. But what I liked and the show is just how good these writers are and how well they understand their characters and how good these actors are too, is that everyone is just feeling the pressure. On all sides. So I wanted to start off the conversation there. How do you think this this premiere did with showing just how the characters are all reacting to the circumstances from the end of season two and going into this season? Yeah, I really liked the, the first episode because I, I think what's like the biggest secret of this show to work is because even under all the silliness, there's always a really like strong message. If mm -hmm. like we're not going into spoilers, but even on this like first episode, like how Ted reacts when he does the press conference after all the pressure that he has to kind of like uh, play a little bit dirty, just be a little bit like what, what he's not, like be someone else, go against his values. And he decides not to do it. And he decides to be himself. And he decides to use comedy and like uh, how he's able to make fun of himself to like kind of get people to laugh and to feel better. I think that that is a lot of the, the things that really capture me in this show because, like, at first sight, he's an idiot, like you said, but he's not. He's like, he, he just knows. Um, and and some, like, some parts of this show kind of remind me what I felt when I saw everything everywhere all at once. The thing of using kindness as a weapon of fighting and stuff. And, and this is a show that is kind of doing the same thing. Like, he's not going to go and play dirty is not going to go and attack people. And I think that's refreshing. And I wish that uh, if they plan to do it just in three seasons, they would end it. Um, I think if it wasn't on Apple Plus, and like you said, it's the only thing they have to capture people, uh, you probably would because like look at Succession. It's like one of the biggest shows on earth and it's going to end when it's like... On, it, on his highest uh, ratings and stuff. So this could, show could do the same. Um, I, I, I just don't know because Apple doesn't really have anything else to put on. So right. I think they'll probably might drag it, drag it up. 
for us, like Europeans, it's really funny that they put uh, West Ham as being their biggest like challenge. <laughs> yeah, because, right, uh, right. I, 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 like they're being positive as the bad guys there. Like that's always that's always the other aspect of the show that I'm like I'm always interested in because it's like I'm into the show aspect, but there's this whole underlying aspect as well about like why it's so big to Europeans because of the, because of the football aspect. Because again, yeah. like, you have all of these different pieces of the football thing, and like I have my friends here who are like football fanatics that were going nuts over the FIFA Cup, and I keep telling them, and they keep talking about the Ted Lasso but they never seen an episode of the show but they know about it because of the because of the because of the the football connections and the, and the FIFA aspects and that's what and, and that so it's always so fascinating to me and like especially once they bring in Manchester United at the end of the first season and then last season and I'm like oh my god football fans must have been losing their minds there and now they got West yeah, Ham but that's, and they're being but that's the thing that I'll bring this yeah. Now, now they bring West Ham and we like thinking, yeah. well, that's not going to be very hard if West Ham is the <laughs> bad guys, because they're not like right. that great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's the other thing. I think it's really funny. It's like the fish out of water kind of thing that always works, having an American, because we kind of feel the same way when we're watching American football. We're just thinking, what the fuck is going on? Like, no one understands it. So having an American training... a, a like a soccer team, I think that's for us also another level that makes it really interesting. So this show has a lot going on. And and, and like the actors, they pretty much, all of them are, are brilliant. I think yeah. like there's no one we can say that is not on their A game. Absolutely, especially at this point of the game, too. Like I said, we're three seasons in now. We've we again, even even though COVID is only three years ago, it feels like it's been like a long time that we've been spending yeah. with these characters. And I don't know, like I said, if it's just the gap in time that we had between season two and three, just with how we get TV now as opposed to TV of old, with it just again how good and well crafted the show. It feels like we've spent time with these characters for a long time now. And again, these actors have really really grown into their roles and, like, become synonymous with them. I still remember seeing Juno Temple just pop up in bit parts in, like, Dark Knight Rises and Black Mass and a bunch of other movies that I watched when I was in high school. And now, like, that, like she's known to, like, a whole new generation as Keeley, you know? And Hannah Waddingham, I remember seeing her in Game of Thrones as Septa Unella, the Septa who tortured Cersei Lannister. And now I know her as Rebecca. And, and, and Brett Goldstein, who was, like, Com I, you guys like Brett Goldstein and Phil Dunster, who were complete unknowns to me. And now I officially know them as, as Roy and Jamie. And, um, yeah, and Brett is going to be Hercules in the Marvel and now, universe. And now Brett is Hercules <laughs> in, in the MCU. Like, like that's insane. And that's because of Ted Lasso. Like, uh, let's exactly. be honest. It's like, because it's of like. It's absolutely because I mean, well, we know Kevin Feige, self-proclaimed sitcom fan. The Russos got Winter Soldier because of how much he loved what they did with Community. Yeah. So yeah, like that's that is no that is no uh that that is nothing new that Marvel is doing there. And uh, yeah, I mean, even Sudeikis, like I still remember, like Sudeikis is a guy who again it feels like he's been around forever, but like he was on SNL for a while. But I still remember like watching all of the comedies he did, like uh were the like were, were the Millers and like the horrible boss movies and Hall Pass and a bunch of the other like stupid comedies that he did when I was in high school and now he is a household name as Ted Lasso as arguably and it's probably arguably the the deepest most layered performance he's ever given where again you you meet Ted in that first season and he is this seemingly goofy uh, like like beam of optimism and and as the seasons have gone on they've peeled back the layers they've shown that like nah this guy is not all peaches and cream he's battling a lot of inner demons he's got this immense sense of guilt and I think that probably the most brilliant thing the most brilliant thing that this season three premiere did was really refocusing us on like what Ted wants. Because what's so interesting about those first two seasons is that despite the fact that we were told what 
uh, Ted was brought to England for, we never really had a look inside of his head as far as what he really wanted. Because of, of, at least to what from what we saw, it was always an, the, the idea of, okay, Ted just wants to help everyone find the best version of themselves, you know? And he was always kind of like that guiding beam of light, you know, that come to Jesus moment. And I think the most brilliant thing that this opening, that this that this uh, premiere episode of this new season did was focus entirely on Ted and his son and the fact that, wow, his son has grown significantly. Like, he's not a little kid anymore and him having to say goodbye to him. And, like, it, again, without telling us at all, with no extra dialogue other than just him saying goodbye to his son, you and then with him cleaning up the Lego sets and the blanket forts and all the stuff that they did while his son was visiting, you immediately get the sense of, wow, he feels like he's missing his kid, uh, his kid's life. And I mean, you, you as a father yourself, like you must know, like there is nothing that can be more painful than feeling like you're missing out on your kid growing up just in general. You know, I'm not saying you've been through that, but I'm just saying that in general. No, no, that's but be what, no 100% because like, and, and this is why I say this show he uses comedy, but under it, it's so layered. There's so little things like that. Like for me on this show, for example, when he gets the message of his ex-wife, and like you think it's for him and it was, oh, your mother sent you a message. And it just shows also like that he still loves his ex-wife. He still has feelings for her. So all those things there, it's it's very, very powerful. It's really well written. It's done in a way that never like goes into the flow of being very depressing. But when you think about it it's it's deep there's a lot of stuff there and when you eat that nail on that again of like when you have your kid on a different country like for example my daughter that's in the uk right. i'm in portugal like when there's little small things that people don't even realize like mm. if she has a flu and she's not feeling well it doesn't even, it doesn't even need to be something very serious but you just think, why I'm not there? Why I can't be helping when she wants to go to the cinema and she doesn't have a ride, uh, like stuff like that. That it's it's something that you never like hits you hard when you are with someone next to you. You always think, oh, I won't go today. I'll go tomorrow. But when someone is on another country, when a kid is, especially when they're younger and they're growing up so fast, like everything happens so fast. Yeah, that is... And that is why I think this show has a really good opportunity to finish strong uh, and like finish in a way that it, it is positive. And uh, I don't know if they should do more, should do more uh, seasons because I, I don't know how they go right. from here. Like right. you need it, this it, kid, what happens? It, it's ironic that you bring that up about the kid because so much of the time, one of the most criticized things about um, about, about TV shows. I remember this is a big thing on Lost when that aired is, wow, how they're always unable to combat the idea of kids growing up and how Stranger Things, one of the biggest things is the reason why that show has to time jump every single season is because those kids grew up so damn fast when we met these kids. And the show was seven years ago and those kids were like all 12 and now they're like all like 18, 19, 20 because the show is at the jump yeah. in order to catch up with them growing. And this show finally cracked the code of just, uh, of capturing like growth of children across the course of time and it's, it's amazing honestly how brilliant that is and i hope that's a facet that people talk about as far as like finally fixing the problem of how do you work around kids who grow so rapidly over the course of time especially when it comes to filming and i i'm glad that you brought up the idea of them doing three seasons so 
Like I said, there's a bunch of other characters, uh, but just in order to kind of give a rundown as far as what's happening, like I said, Richmond is really feeling the pressure as far as, uh, you know, they're constantly under the fire. As to, as to, even though now they're back in the Premier League, they are unsure as to whether or not they're going to be uh, going to be up to snuff, especially since um, West Ham is now their arch rivals, you know, with, with Nate uh, heading them up. And it continues to show Nate and his, uh, and his insecurity complex as far as whether he will be able to provide, uh, whether he will be useful to Rupert or not. Uh, you have Rebecca, who is just hellbent on wanting to defeat Rupert for no other, like against all odds, even to the point where she's trying to get Ted to uh, compromise on his, on his uh, never ending moral values. Roy and Keely have solidified their breakup. Um, and another instance of kids growing up, Roy's niece, Phoebe, who is now like, was always known as being this precocious pint-sized kid. And she is, but even they even show that, you know, she's growing up a little bit, you know, she's, she's getting a little bit more mature. They're having some more mature conversations with her, you know, um, the yeah. Richmond guys as well, the Richmond guys as well, you know, and how they're starting to feel the pressure. And I love, I always love to spend time with the, with, with the soccer players as well. You know, Isaac, Danny, Sam, Colin, John Moss, all the, you know, Jamie, now that, now that he's fully back and enmeshed with the team, you know, all those guys, like I said, it's just, the show has, the show started with just being about Ted and has grown and developed to have such this rich cadre of all of these characters who we've fallen in love with. But the thing that I wanted to talk about with you as well is the whole idea of whether they're ending it. So famously, like I said, they said from the beginning that this was only ever going to be three seasons. Um, and, and it's ironic that Ted Lasso, which kind of sprung up in the wake of all of these shows, but it's ironic that this season, this, this television season, I mean the spring season of 2023, you have three of arguably the biggest and best shows that we've had for the last couple of years, Succession, Barry, and now possibly Ted Lasso, all ending, and not to mention all of them ending within a week of each other. You have you have, you have have Succession that starts next week and will run the full 10 episodes a week from today, Sunday. You have um, Barry, which does not premiere until the middle of April. Um, what's it called? But that's only going to be the eight episodes. And then all of these shows are going to be ending within a week of each other around the middle of May. That's three of, and this is also ties to a point that I brought up previously about how this is kind of marking the end of this wave of prestige television that we've gotten. And the reason being that even though we will continue to get amazing shows, amazing big budget level shows, you know, we have shows like House of the Dragon, we have, uh, you know, we have Last of Us, we have Andor as well, to name a few, but kind of the, the, the how... Because these three shows like kind of represent the end of like this wave of this incredible original kinds of stories that really strike deep on multiple levels that were kind of jump-started by The Sopranos and then continued by shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, you know? And how even though the shows that we will get going forward are still going to be great, they are unfortunately still tied into franchise where House of the Dragon is tied into the Game of Thrones franchise and or is tied in with Star Wars. Last of Us is based off of a very, very mega popular video game. You know, how the uh, kind of the idea of the spread of IPs has infected television now as well, where it previously was primarily just with movies. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. And also, and kind of how this ties back to Ted Lasso is, Ted Lasso, the idea, like I said, is that they said always that this was going to be end with three seasons. And the way that this first episode was setting us up, it certainly seems like they are setting this up for this to be the last season, how they're going to end on a really high note. But there's also been rumors and rumblings up in the air as far as like, oh, we don't know if we're going to bring this back for another season. It could be a whole season of just Coach Beard going on random misadventures. That could be them trolling us a little bit. But I'm also, again, I'm skeptical because Apple is so new. And because, like I said, outside of this show, they really haven't had a hit. Morning Show did not go all the way that they went, that they thought it would. C has come and gone. You have that M. Night Shyamalan show, Servant, that like is like a little more of a niche show. Severance just started, and that was a pretty big hit, but that's only had one season. It hasn't really had a chance to matriculate around, you know? And Apple is still pumping out content like crazy, but how many shows are actually catching on, you know? So, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on all that in general. I know I just ra rambled off a lot, but... 
No, yeah, like I'm to be honest, I'm not worried because like like you said, three years ago we didn't have Ted Lasso. I think I think there's always new shows coming out mm-hmm. and that like there's so shows that are gonna work, the others that don't. We never know, like the shows that sometimes we think are gonna be huge, then they just flop. But yeah, I think I think like uh, because we had Lord of the Rings also, mm-hmm. there was a, a, a big big IP that everyone thought right. it was going to be a big hit. And it, well, it didn't really. Sort hit of as big as I, I'd people. say Luke. I'd say lukewarm, definitely. You yeah, know, but for hey. being Lord of the Rings, people expected more. So right. I think like uh, IPs and and we seeing that with Marvel and DC and stuff, people are saying they're all they're not always like bulletproof. So. Uh, there are some things that uh, they're going to invest that are unique. And I think people that get out, from example, from Ted Lasso and stuff, they, they're going to have the power now to go to um, like Apple, Amazon, whatever, and just say, look, we have a really good idea for a new show and people are going to listen to them. So right. I, I think there's a lot of like potential still for like for us to have some unique uh, television coming. But in the end of the day, like if you just keep running a show that you don't have any idea where it's gonna go, that you're just trying right. to find <laughs> a way, and that's the same <laughs> then with you, movies. Then you end up with Lost. Yeah, that you're just gonna <laughs> like you're just gonna ruin it. You're just gonna like ruin yeah. what you had. And I think like some of these creators now are kind of realizing that because I I think we're not gonna get shows like. For example, the flash that's been going on for ten thousand right. years and stuff. I think people are realizing now a little bit more and, and looking at things like, for example, British TV. That British yes. TV is very Absolutely. small, like seasons, and they know that. Look, there's no point continuing doing this, even if there's an audience. We're just gonna burn uh, the bridges. Right. But in the end of the day, they're like money talks lo- louder, like uh, yep. Luther. Yeah, he's I, one of my. I, I knew favorite. you were gonna bring that up. I was just about to bring that up. I'm like, unless you're Luther or Peaky Blinders. Yeah, L- Luther is like one of my favorite uh, TV shows from the UK, and now that Netflix like movie, it, it it was just like a money grab. To be honest, it, like there was really no point for doing that. But uh, I always say this to people: Look, if I made up a show and people came to me and said, "Oh, here's fifty million to do another season," come on, guys, we. Probably most of us will do it unless you have a very solid career and you have something that you know that you can do after and it's guaranteed. So it's hard sometimes for these people to say no to large amounts of money. Uh, so I also understand. I just hope that, like, I don't think Jason Sudeck is is going to have any trouble, like, oh, no. Getting Bill Lawrence another already project. has multiple other shows. He's already got another show going on Apple TV Plus with, with, with Shrinking, which he developed with uh, Jason Zudeikis, and I think he's yeah. got like a couple of other shows. So they're they're fine as far as far as uh as far as content goes for sure. Yeah, like I said, it's just a matter of like I don't want them to fall into that franchise trap of like you said, money talks, where like you were saying, they have a chance to end the show on a high note, on like the highest of all highs. You know, like I said, the fact that this show. Yeah. Will be going up against Barry and Succession, arguably the two best shows on the air right now. You know the fact that, and like I said, you have the, this is coming off. This is like kind of the final because, like I said, you had Better Call Saul, Atlanta, Ozark, His Dark Materials, um, and then there's one other one that that all ended their run 
last year. And now all you have these next, like I said, you have these next three shows that are all ending their run. I think the only one left, the only two that are, the, the, sorry, the, and then there's gonna only going to be three shows left from that original run of shows that we've kind of gotten over the last couple of years. The boys, the boys, they said this next season will not be the last, but I'm not yeah. sure about that. Uh, and then these upcoming seasons of Umbrella Academy and Cobra Kai, seasons four and six, respectively, of those shows will be the last ones, as well as Stranger Things. Uh, that will also be ending with its upcoming season. So you have those next wave of shows that are coming. So all these shows that we've spent the last couple of years with are going to be ending, and they're all going to be like to relative, you know, successes because I think the difference with all, all those shows and a lot of the shows that we got before, you know, like, you know, some, some of the other ones like Game of Thrones and some of the other ones where they kind of ended on a little bit of, of a, which is that they have gotten, they have a much better sense of consistency. They've had a much better sense of story uh, as far as approach to what they're trying to do. And I, I and like I, but like I said, the, it's the fact that all those other shows that I just named have been to pretty uh, a, a pretty wide range of quality, you know. And it's the fact that those three shows that I just named, Succession, Barry, and Ted Lasso, have all been so consistently great uh, across all those seasons. And the fact that they are nine to ten shot going to end on as great a note as the as those first couple seasons did. Like it, it's, it, 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 we're we're living through a moment right here is what I'm trying to get. At. We are living through a moment that we are not going to get again for a very long time. And so I just wanted to emphasize that before we move on to our next topic, which oh man, just like DC man, it's never it's never gonna get a break. It's never going to get a break. So before we move on, Ted Lasso this premiere uh, well, I'll, I'll see in a couple weeks once the show wraps up uh, where we're at as far as that goes. I might have you back on. I'm not sure. But what, what, where would you, what would you give this premiere episode out of five? Out of five stars? Out of five? Oh, yeah. Like about four and a half. I thought it was really, really good. Yes. I thought like he set up the tone for what's coming. And I can see like the guidelines to if it's the last season to create something very good. I think the way they set up the things with uh, Nathan, um, it could be really interesting also, like a redemption story and uh, always seeing that uh, no matter what he does to to Ted, he's always going to treat him kindly and how we can have that change. I think it can be very, very interesting. So I thought it was really good for like a, a first episode. Don't know where it's going to go, but... All the things like all the messages when they gone down to the sewer and all the message there. Uh, I thought it was really clever. It was really well done. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Again, I am. I want to give this episode a five stars so badly, so so badly. Because again, even though it's not my favorite, and I can tell that they're taking the tone in a drastically different direction, I can just tell that we're getting set up for something really, really special and really, really awesome. And I, com I commend them for it. I, I, I absolutely commend them for it for sure. Like I said, this was a show that I was not expecting to love as much as I did when it, when I first watched it during COVID, and now it's one of my favorite shows that I am both super excited to be getting back each week, but also super sad that this might be the last time we ever watch it. So that's just me. So now. Let's move on to again, like again, this 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 dog will just not stop getting kicked over and over again. So I I feel like a, a lot has happened. A lot has happened since we talked about Black Adam back in October, where again that Warner Brothers was in such dire financial straits that that was the only movie that they were able to release in in the year of 2022 was Black Adam, like the only superhero movie that they could afford to release. Um, and then there was the whole element of basically The Rock kind of being, kind of, uh, again, being sold a false bag of goods where he was told to promote Henry Cavill, to promote the shit out of Henry Cavill in order to set up for a Black Adam Superman confrontation movie that ultimately was never going to happen because it was revealed 
what, not even not even a week, not even a month later after the movie's release that James Gunn and Peter Safran were going to be taking over all of DC Studios and were effectively going to be rebooting the entire universe from scratch, which they said they were going to do, like, a couple of movies ago, like, in the wake of the Justice League fiasco, but they revealed that they were going to use Flashpoint to reset everything, which we all knew that they were going to reset everything with Flashpoint, but now they've confirmed it again. Which effectively renders this entire slate of movies that were going to be coming out this year, which again, with, with the pushback, with the constant pushbacks and delays, we have four DC movies that are coming out this year that have now all effectively been rendered moot. Starting with this movie, Shazam Fury of the Gods, which is a direct follow-up to 2019 Shazam. It's been four years since the last one. The, the, the first movie you received... I don't even remember, honestly. I remember the reviews being positive when it first came out and then, and then like, kind of falling. I, I was probably the most confused by this movie because I'm like, the trailer pitched it as being, like, another self-aware Deadpool-esque superhero property, and then the end result ended up being something that much more so resembled, like, a, like a goofy, really low-budget kitty movie. And for the first movie, that was fine. But now that we're in this weird, like, hybrid phase of, okay, we are still kind of inevitably going to be forced to watch these movies, even though none of them are really going to have a point because they're all going to get retconned out of existence once we get Flash in about three months. Like... I feel really confused, to say the least, about this, you know, because there's a, there's one part of me that feels the same way that I did about Quantumania, where that movie was, like, getting de demolished before it even had a chance to be released and be re reviewed and recepted properly uh, because of the script leaks and the scene leaks. And so even though that movie, unfortunately, kind of proved to be everything that everyone was saying it would be, I still kind of felt bad because I'm like, I wanted to at least give it a chance. I feel like that movie didn't even get a chance, you know? And I feel like it's yeah. we're almost in the same situation with this movie as well. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, for me, like, I don't really understand that, that thing of, like, these movies being pointless just because we know it's going to reset in the future. Right. Like, if this movie was good... I, I wouldn't give a crap that it was right. going to be re being reset. Right. It's like the problem with the movie is not that it's pointless what's happening here, because right. if like after a couple of movies of like, for example, let's say Guardians of the Galaxy, a couple of movies, everything was resetted. I wouldn't say, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy is like uh, pointless or uh, I, I think the biggest problem with, DD, with DC is that they have no idea what path they want to take. Right. And like, for example, like I'm, I'm one of the very few people that really dislikes the first Shazam. The first Shazam right. for me was like something that I just couldn't get into it because I felt there was a big disconnect with like there was the comedy and then there was... Sandberg trying right. to make a very dark horror right. movie, and it feels like they're trying to mesh those two, yes. uh, those two. And it, 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 you know what? I'm with you there because that is something that I've been thinking about. Okay, you know what it was? It was the fact that Shazam, when that first movie came out, it was it came out I think only like a few weeks before Endgame, and then Endgame came out and just took over the whole world. That I just completely forgot about that movie's existence. I feel like everybody else did, but you're right. That was a big problem that I had with that first movie, where I'm like. The idea, like, like the, the whole, like, they've, they've talked about, like, you know, the, it, 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 I feel like it's almost a, I feel like in a strange way, Multiverse of Madness was able to accomplish what, um, what, what, what Shazam was unable to do, which is, again, trying to have this, like, fun adventure with, with undertones of, like, these really, like, gruesome horror movie, you know? And, like, it, it, it's this, and I feel that's continued with this movie, where it is such strange of tones, where you have this goofy, stupid, silly, kiddie comedy with some of the most cringy 
one-liners I've ever heard in my life mixed with like these really weird, dark, messed up scenes of like where you have Lucy Liu whispering into the principal's ear and making him kill himself, which is like really, really dark and twisted. Like even for like, even for one of one of these for one of these movies, you know, and so it creates this really big tonal disconnect that I that just is prevents me from being able to get into this movie, you know. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. But for me, like, what I, I would say, if if we if I put the two movies and I have to pick one, I would prefer this second one just for the simple fact that I I I don't really care about this one. Like, I right. like, yeah, it's a movie. The first one for me. What annoyed me was I felt they had logged all the pieces of the puzzle there because, like, Zachary Levy is really good in that yes. role. I think, like, Jack Dylan Gray, like, is really good there. I thought that, that like, the villain with uh, Mark Strong in the first one, it was really good. I thought the special effects, the monsters, everything was there. And it just needed a little bit of a tweaks and you could yes. do something really cool. Yes. So it kind of pissed me off what they did. So I really like this, like that movie, this one, it was just stupid. And like, and, and right. kind of like black Adam, when a movie is so stupid, I just go with it and I'm just like, fine. Okay. Like right. I'm going to be here for, for the ride. But I thought Ellen mirror and Lucy Lou just like, I couldn't get that those two as being the villains. Yeah, they just look like Aaron Millen just looked like a nice old grandmother that comes to tell everyone <laughs> off. And I'm Wait, sorry, she's forget, not I, like the minute they walk in as cosplayers and just nobody is questioning that. And you have the guy from Peacemaker who's just there, and they don't even bother to tell you if it's supposed to be the same character that he plays or Peacemaker. It's just more like, like I, I I don't know. I mean, I give James Gunn credit for even though he really doesn't need to, continuing to try and, and add his characters from from his DC movies that he's already done and and fit them into these movies, you know, with, with Viola Davis and, and his and his what and his yeah. now wife Jennifer Holland into Black Adam and now this guy and then uh you know you know uh Harcourt and Economos at the in the post credit scene for this movie. Like I'll give him credit for that like trying is hardest to tie these movies together before he reboots them and is fully able to take over. But like, I, I guess in order to kind of reboot your point of what you were saying before about how you didn't get the, the, the pointlessness of it, my, my whole thing comes from the fact of it's like, look, we are in an era where we know that every superhero movie that comes out within each of these franchises will inevitably lead up to something bigger. We just know well, whether, whether they, whether we get that big thing or not, these movies are now, almost algorithmically designed to build up to something bigger. So I guess that's why when I say that something is pointless, it's the fact that what 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 the kind of the magic of again where all of this comes from, which is the Marvel formula, what made that work is you could even have a quote unquote bad Marvel movie and that would still be important because at the end of the day you would have something bigger like an Endgame that would come out and redeem a previous weaker Marvel movie like Dark World. Like Endgame in a strange way, even though Dark World is still not a good movie, redeems Dark World because there are pieces of Dark World that end up factoring into and mattering towards Endgame versus with DC, you have all of these pieces that are constantly being set up in all of these movies that never amount to anything or go anywhere. And the reason why I say that this movie, along with a couple of others, is pointless is because you're right. It would have been one thing. It wouldn't have mattered if this movie had a point or not, if it had been good. But the fact that it's not, and the fact that now we have nothing for this to build up to, like there's, there's no form of there's, there, there's nothing for, I feel like, anybody to latch on to. You can't latch on to it as a good movie, and you can't latch on to it as a piece in this greater building, expanding story, you know? Because it doesn't yeah, check in. No, I agree. 
I agree with you on that, but the point is, I think they're always looking... I, I think first they need to build a good movie, and then they need to see how they connect it. And I think sometimes it's the other way around. They're so worried to putting pieces there that's going to connect with something, or that's going to build something, or it's right. going to do something. And, and, and it's, it's not... They're not worrying about making a great movie. And, and this is something that never works. I, I remember that when Sam Raimi did Spider-Man 3, he didn't want to have Venom there because right. he thought that Venom is not going to work in the story that I want to tell it. And the studio pushed him and he had to have Venom there. And I'm sure that if you take Venom out of that movie, that movie is a lot better than he ended up being. And this is the problem. First, you have to have a good movie and then see what pieces connect. And I think that's the like one of the problems that people have now when they go into a Marvel movie that they always like thinking, but what's coming? Yeah, I, like I, I was right. saying to someone the other day, for me, Marvel fans now are like those annoying kids in the car saying, are we there yet? Are we there yeah. yet? Are we yeah. there yet? Because they have no patience. Like, And I think that's what Marvel has against them now is that they took so long building Endgame, but like, people kind of like grew into it, but now right. people want another end an game. But... Generation, and, and also you had an entire generation of people who literally grew up with that. So you have an entire generation of people that have known nothing other than that Marvel way of storytelling. So now that's the only thing that they understand when it comes to it. You know, it's, it's, it's I think a big reason as to why you can't have a movie, quote unquote, just be a movie anymore because you have an entire generation of people that have grown up being trained to think, okay, everything is eventually going to build into this one larger scale, you know? Yeah, so what I was saying is that I, I think the problem now is people want it, they want it right. so fast. They go into these movies and they're already complaining because they want things to, right. they want to know what everything means. They and like to well, the Avengers, Kang Dynasty, and Secret Wars without any of yeah, the Yeah, and, and they start complaining about stuff. For example, one of the, everything that I always keep hearing is, oh, the Eternals, it was just pointless. All that story with, uh, like, the oh, I can't remember what's his name, the big the big monster that dies and is and this thing. Oh, uh, Eternal. The, 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 Tiamat, Tiamat, the, the yeah. Yeah. Eternal that was popping out of the earth, yeah. Yeah, so which, for example, everyone is saying... Ironically enough, they, it feels like Marvel's almost gone out of their way to blatantly set up and say, yes, this will play, they, that, that version, that character will play a big part in the upcoming new Captain America movie. No, and yeah, it's going to be, from what we are understanding, it's going to be one of the main spots in Thunderbolt because that's the island where they're going to go and get something and they're going to have to invade it and stuff. But that's the thing. I don't think Marvel went out of the way to do it. I think they have a plan. But what do they want? Do they want that this thing happens in a movie? There's an island that's formed with an end. And in the end, there's someone saying, oh, this like is going to show up on this movie in the future. No. like, And this is the thing. When it was the first phases, people had kind of the patience. And because they weren't so like understanding how everything was connected, they, they, they weren't like cutting all these movies in little pieces and then examining and then stuff. And this is what I think is the problem. People are not enjoying the movies. It's like the, it's like a puzzle and everyone wants to be the first one to like, uh, like, oh, I know what's going to happen in this movie and what's going to happen there. You see, I was right. They're like watching the trailers and looking frame by frame if they can find a clue. So I think people are not enjoying the movies. They're not like giving them a chance. Like you said, most of these movies 
people don't even give a chance when they come out. Uh, and that's the shame because like there, there's a lot of these movies that, uh, that could and I good, think DC right. and I think DC like should also look at this and yes. realize that and like their best. Yeah, and their biggest hits, like the Joker and like uh, V for Vendetta, that are like DC things that are not that like known or that uh, they do a, a new twist. Those are their biggest hits. So why go that way of trying to connect everything and not just like create really good movies that, like the Batman, for example, the Batman doesn't need to be connected with a Superman, with the Flash, with whatever, because. If it's connected, like if we see the Batman and we imagine, oh, in a couple of movies, there's going to be a, like an alien superhero that like could just sneeze and kill Batman. It stops being like something that's like real, that's grounded. It's like the Nolan movies. You couldn't have Bat and Superman in a Nolan movie right. because it would just not work. And I think that's what we need to realize and Shazam is just there in the middle because he doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what he's doing. Right. And it was obvious on this second movie that they have no idea what to do with him. Yeah, it's a twofold issue as well with the whole social media aspect, with the TikTok thing, which I'm glad that you brought that up. One, like you said, it's an entire generation of kids that have grown up in the social media age, so they have no understanding of patience or anything because, again, their attention span is so short they can't focus for longer than, like, I think the attention span that Chris and I talked about, like, even as far as two years ago was an attention span of roughly seven seconds, and I think it's gone down to even less than that. And two, like you said, it doesn't help also that Disney – the crown, you know, obviously the company behind Marvel as well has perpetuated a lot of the stuff by upping the amount of Marvel content that was released. Like I said, the amount of we we went from having between two to three Marvel movies a year, and they were these really big events that people could get excited for, to again becoming like four TV shows and four movies that we would get each year. Like the amount of Marvel content that we've gotten in the, just the last two years alone is equal to almost what we got in like what would have taken like five or six years of Marvel content pre-COVID. So that you have that now, and now you have Marvel and Disney taking drastic steps to pull that back. And now, and you have DC, which is almost in a completely opposite position. But what's interesting is that you have DC finally in a position, and I know I've said this before, and I've been proven wrong almost every single time, but I'm still staying with it, where DC has a really interesting position where they have James Gunn, who has arguably been, like, probably the person who benefited the most from being under Kevin Feige's leadership at Marvel, and how people have always commented on how his work that he did with the Guardians of the Galaxy movies felt so unique and so different from, like, the typical Marvel thing. People always said that his, that his direction and his approach that he took to those movies felt so wholesome and unique, and how those movies felt, quote-unquote, you know, what was everyone's favorite thing to say about the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, that they felt like James Gunn movies, not... Marvel movies, and while ultimately, like, what most of people say about Marvel movies, they had no idea what they're talking about, at the very least, I kind of understood what they meant, because those movies felt like, more like someone's unique, artistic, creative vision, they felt like some, it felt like James Gunn was trying to make the best movie he could, not just the next piece in the Marvel puzzle, you know, and even though he has, again, been tasked with drafting out this, whatever, 10-year plan, or however long it's gonna be for this next stage of whatever DC's gonna be, once Flash reboots everything, at the very least, the fact that he is willing to take that legwork and the fact that he is willing to entrust the solo creators that they hire to direct the projects that he unveiled is already foretelling. And I think that, like you said, what Shazam suffers from the most is the fact that it doesn't know what it wants to be. It, it doesn't know if it wants to set up for anything, and it can't even stabilize and, and try and be like this, this, this movie in and of itself where you have this movie that is trying to be this half-assed message about like Billy growing apart 
from his siblings, but nothing that is that we're seeing on the movie is backing up anything that he's saying where Billy is supposed to be feeling this isolation and the fact that he's got this rejection complex because he's been abandoned by everybody before him and how the siblings are, oh, everyone's leaving him and they're not uh, being there for him or whatever. But that's not at all what's happening. No, absolutely nothing that we're seeing on screen is backing that up. All of the characters are just doing their own thing and being normal kids. Like Mary just wants to go out and party because she gave up going to college to be a superhero, which I, I the, the movie almost has a halfway point that they're trying to go out that, you know, and Freddie is getting older and naturally wants to get a girl. Uh, and Pedro is apparently dealing with this underlying crisis of like, you know, being, you know, wa wanted to come out as gay. And Eugene like just wants to play video games all day and like explore and darling. And like, so you, you have all of none of you have all of this stuff that's going on and you have all of this stuff that like otherwise would be some pretty good arcs, but the movie just doesn't seem to have any focus of what it wants to do. And I think my single biggest problem with the movie is, and this is a problem that was really was there with the first movie, but I think it's even more egregious now is that the, the, the character of Shazam that Zachary Levi is playing, who is supposed to be the same character as Billy Batson, the character that Asher Angel is playing, um, in adult form, right? When he says the word Shazam, he becomes an adult, yeah. but he still has the mentality of a child. There is no connection there at all yeah, anymore. That, that's have, one of my biggest, yeah, one of my is, biggest issues is that. It wasn't because, as bad in the first one because at the very yeah. least, like, you always got the sense of, like, okay, Billy had this goofy side that he always had to keep hidden underneath the fact that he was supposed to be this street smart kid. And so when he became an adult, he was able to like, actually be that. But now you have Zachary Levi. And it doesn't help also that you barely see the character of Billy Batson in this movie. He's Shazam for almost all the movie. And the yeah. fact that you have Zachary Levi playing him as really this buffoon. Like, he really is an idiot the way that he portrays him. And versus Billy, who for the most part acts pretty normal whenever he's on screen. Like, he doesn't act out. He doesn't act like a fool. He acts like just a normal 17-year-old. No, very, like, mature. Right, very mature right. and an adult. Like watching two completely different characters. And I'm like... This completely destroys the entire idea of Shazam and, and what that character is supposed to be, you know? No, if you look for, like, for example, at the character of Freddy that's played by, like, Jack, he has more of a connection with Shazam. Like, if it was him turning into Shazam, he looked more realistic than yes, the other way around. Way more realistic. But, that, but that's the thing, look, but I think that's the biggest problem here. Like, a movie like this, when they want to have all these characters and the family and stuff, they have to do something that it's very hard for a studio to understand. They have to make a superhero movie that doesn't have as much action as this one does because mm -hmm. most of this movie is like that goddamn dragon. Like yeah. that dragon should have a name on the poster because it's there more time than anyone else. Right. And, and this is the problem. They, like the studios, have no confidence on a movie that it's going to be like carrying it because of the comedy or the characters or the stuff. Right. So, and I think this is the biggest problem with like this big superhero movie, right. especially the sequels, because it's like a known fact that if you're doing a sequel, you have to be bigger. You have to be like bigger than the first one. And I think that's the, what they try to do here. There's a lot of like battles. There's a lot of special effects. There's a lot of this. And there's not a lot enough time to tell the story of six kids that coming out, for example, that you were saying before. Oh God, that was really it's poorly so done. Rushed and, and, it's, and it's poorly done. And the fact that they were trying to like set that up, and it's like, and, and my my biggest problem comes to the fact that it's like they're not bad ideas that that are being presented here. If given half a chance, 
I, yes. I'm arguably more invested in all of these kids because they're as opposed to the first one where they're kind of just like making up the beret of like, you know, let's be completely honest here, token inserts that are checking off the relative diversity quotas that the studio has to get across. Uh, now they're actual characters and they actually have arcs and they actually like have a part to play, you know, and I, I and like, interesting and yeah, it was interesting, interesting arcs for most of them. Exactly. And, and the fact that, 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 and like you said, the fact that Warner Brothers has clearly shown their hand time and time again in having just no, it would be one thing, right, if these movies were being marketed like regular movies. But it's the fact that Warner Brothers has almost kind of shamelessly now gone out of their way to show just how desperate they are to get people to watch these movies because of how much money because of how poorly received the movies that were released pre-covid were and then when covid happened and the big gamble that they took on releasing the movies on hbo max and how much money they lost as a result during that to the point where like i said they had to push back all of these movies to this year and how and now they're resetting everything again after all of the different things that they've got, it's just like I said, it is just the continuing fact of they've shown their hand time and time again of how desperate they are. They are kind of at a loss. They're almost, this movie is pretty much to me a representation of Warner Brothers throwing up their hands of like saying, look, we know these movies are going to be terrible. You know, we know, we know that you know, but we need you to see these movies anyways, because trust me, again, we're going to have a bunch of cool shit coming down the line. We promise, even though we promised a bunch of cool shit years ago that we never ended up delivering on, we have a bunch of cool shit coming down the line, but we need you to see these movies so that we can deliver on the cool shit that we got coming out, you know? Because otherwise, we're not going to be able to do that. And it's just, it reeks of desperation, and even more so than it ever has before. And I got to say, it doesn't do well to inspire confidence. And like I said, it would be one thing, it would be one thing if the movies were actually good. But if, if this is the first instance that we're getting of that is between this and Black Adam back in the fall. No, and me. the thing is, and, and the good, thing is, when when this movie tested with audiences, it didn't do too bad in the test audiences. Aquaman 2 supposedly is like the lowest rating that they got with any screenings. So if this was a lot better than Aquaman 2 is for the oh, test man. audiences, oh, man. I don't I know imagine. what Aquaman 2 is going to be. And Aquaman 2, that's another one that we know has been just, even before, again, it's just been riddled with problems between the Amber Heard situation and with Jason Momoa getting COVID seemingly every other week and with the constant rewrites of the script and everything. Like Aquaman 2, I've heard, is a behind-the-scenes mess. And I don't, I mean, I think the only thing that that movie has going for it is the fact that its only competition is going to be Wonka when that opens up also from Warner Brothers. And I've heard both of those movies are, and I've heard Wonka has also been testing absolutely poorly so i think the only thing that aquaman has going for it is the fact that it opens at christmas you know because that again yeah. all of these movies have been delayed so so many times you know aquaman and flash were both originally supposed to come out last year and they were both delayed to this year it, it, it's it's again it, it's it's the story of warner brothers of the last seven years it is that it is a mess and it all started when they screwed over snyder with, with, with the Justice League situation. And again, it, it, it's the curse of Snyder's continuing to haunt them because the fans are still supporting of Snyder. Snyder was only, in a strange way, benefited from it. Again, what was a horrific tragedy that ended up that he ended up benefiting from because now he's got all the money in the world and all the power on Netflix and all the goodwill from the fans because he is, because ultimately, the worst part about all of this is that Warner Brothers ultimately shot themselves in the foot before any of these new movies even came out, before they even had a chance to show off Guns Vision with the Suicide Squad when they released the Snyder Cut. And everyone was everyone that had been saying for years, all of the Snyder Cut fanboys and all the boss that he created that have been saying, yes, the Snyder Cut is going to be better than anything that DC has planned, were proven right because the Snyder Cut yeah. was just as good as everyone said that it was. And people, you even had people like me 
who were being for the love of God, the Snyder Cut is not going to be good. Just shut up and move on with your lives. And then this movie comes out, and I'm like, I, I would, uh, again, somebody like me was forced to say something that I never, ever in a million years thought I would say, holy shit, the Snyder fans were right. And yeah. it, it made no, me, and like, now yeah. he has an announcement that he's going to make, and no one knows well, what I, it I, is. I, I think he's already, I think he's already said it, but uh, which, which is that it, it, he is uh, rescreening his trilogy, Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, and the Snyder Cut in theaters. I believe that last weekend in April, which is going to be a tremendous, tremendous event for sure. But yeah, and like I said, he's moved on with it. I know everybody still wants him to do his Justice League two and three for um, what's it called? for Netflix, and we all know that's not happening. And also, you also have the Ben Affleck comments, which came out recently on Hollywood Reporter when they were asked if if he would direct uh, the Batman movie that James Gunn is going to do. And he said, he's like, no, no shot in a million years, not after what happened with my experience the last time and adding more fuel to the fire of everything that happened with the Justice League disaster and everything. Yeah, it's just a mess. And this movie, it's still a no, mess. And for me, for me, the worst comments was like of um, David F. Sensberg, like right. when they were saying... That he said, look, I got paid in advance, so... Right. I knew... I basically <laughs> say, you had another situation of a director basically just admitting, yeah, this is a paycheck job. I knew this was going to be dead on arrival, and I just took my money and went. And, yeah, I mean, and, the, and the thing is... It, he but says, like, again, when, when you have the studio, when, when that is what, what is being used to publicize this movie, and that is what... Again, it's just continuing the train of negativity of people latching onto it. It's like, why are people... And, and then they're surprised when it's a bomb. Like, well, what did you expect? Like, and I'm and I'm like, at least for me, I'm not very confident on what Gun can make out of all really? this mess. Okay. Because, yeah, because my my biggest problem is 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 very is a very talented director that has a very clear vision, yes. and he has a very clear taste. Yeah, and his taste is not like the mainstream superheroes. He, right. he likes the weirdos. He likes right. the, like the, that's why he was perfect for Guardians of the Galaxy, and he was perfect for like su the Suicide Squad. But if you look at the Suicide Squad and the Guardians of the Galaxy, they are very similar in yeah, many things. Very, very similar. So much to the point where, a, where 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 fan where people recently have stated that they are starting to get tired of the fact that a lot of gun stuff recently has been so similar. Me, I know for for me because I love everything that James Gunn does. Like you said, because he is that type of auteurist director that has a very clear and specific vision with what he does. I am a fan of that. But like you said, there are people who are not a fan of that because uh, they think that everything he does is so similar. But the thing is, I'm a fan of that. But if now every movie that comes out has the same style because he's going to be behind the helm, like say, look, guys, this is the way we're going to do this and this and this and this and this. This is the characters that are going to move forward. And he's the guy behind it. And you start having three, four movies a year that all feel the same in the style of gun. Uh, I think it's going to be an issue because, for example, like in directing Superman for me is right. a problem because I don't see gun style working for a Superman movie unless you completely right. I, I, I'm not saying it's not going to be a good movie. I just don't believe it's going to be a good Superman movie because like that kind of character doesn't work with his style like Suicide Squad. Perfect. Lobo. That is wants to do with Momoa, and that's I think they're just waiting for Aquaman to be killed. Uh, like Lobo, perfect for him to make it, but like I don't see him making a Batman. I don't see him making a Wonder Woman. I don't see him making uh, like any of these other characters. So if he's gonna be there, 
and, and it's very hard when you have a certain taste, someone comes to you with an idea and it doesn't like fit your taste. It's very hard for you to be able to say, oh, okay. And that's why I think he's not going to be able to do what Feige does because Feige looks at numbers. Feige looks at what people like are talking about. Feige looks at what he has to work with because he, have, he has a bigger picture. Uh, I think Feige is more, he doesn't have that kind of like creative right. vein that is so strong that like gun. And it's going to be very hard for Gunn to like turn that button off and say, okay, let's make a very serious, dark Batman movie. Because that's not the kind of thing that kind of fits his liking. Right. So I, I don't know. I, I'm and it curious also doesn't to help see. The and it, it's strange because I'm still happy and ecstatic about it. And, you know, because everyone was worried about, okay, when, when they said, yeah, they're resetting everything in DC from scratch, aside from Joker, because Joker technically are, are different producers than the main DC producers. They're like, oh, obviously everyone was scared about the Batman. And I don't think it helps one bit that not only will Matt Reeves be continuing and getting to make his version of the Batman uh, the Batman Part Two, which will be released in 2025 with Pattinson, which will be separate from the from whatever Gunn's new verse is going to look like, but also the fact that we are going to get yet another Batman once we get the Brave and the Bold, which was announced as part of his thing with with, with his, whatever his new Batman. Once the Flash reset happens, is going to be training Damian Wayne, so we will have what a seventh Batman. Not even three years after, you know, people have just gotten used to Pattinson being the new Batman, you know, and this is already after Affleck, where Affleck, even though he has been supposedly retired from playing Batman for five years now, we will still be popping up in two more movies before the end of the year, first in The Flash and then in Aquaman. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what else there is to say about this just in general. It's a mess. It's always been a mess. They need to put this shit to bed. Gun, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to still have faith in him, but I, I can't help but still be worried. Yeah, that, that, like I said, it, it, it would be one thing if DC was still going strong, but like I said, they basically admitted that they screwed up and that they should have trusted Snyder originally, And but it's too little too late. He's moved on. Everybody's moved on from that, and now they're just like gasping at dead air at this point. And I don't know what else to say. This movie, I feel like, is the perfect example. Even though we barely talked about it, I feel like everything that we brought up it perfectly summarizes our point. So with that being said, like your final thoughts on Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and like I don't think we've ever had a situation that we more heartily like just can't recommend to people. You know, because it's just it's yeah, not it's, worth it. It's it, not it, worth it. That. My only thing is that is it's like a movie that I go to the cinemas to watch everything. So yeah, of course I'm gonna watch it, but it's not something that you get you get out of it, and it's very forgettable. Like right. sometimes I'm tr like when I was writing my review, I was trying to find things that I didn't like and things that I liked, and what I kind of like. It, it was all like I just didn't care. Like. Uh, it's not that I didn't like. I didn't like uh, the way they gelled those things. Like, and some characters, like for example, like the the wizards uh, in the ends when he shows up in uh, it was everything was so silly. Right. It was everything that uh, and even the cameo. I don't know if it's a spoiler or not because people saw it in the trailer. Spoiler because DC spoiled it themselves. So yeah, like... they did it in a trailer, but right. like. Uh, like even that Gal Gadot is a perfect Wonder Woman for me, but even those things were really weird. Like the right. the, th the thing, oh, he's a kid, but he's in love with Wonder Woman, and the other like three thousand years old right. goddess, and she's like and also, getting with like the, the, the kids. But the, the the terribly obvious reason, where originally again that was supposed to be a joke thing, like what they did in the first Shazam, where again when they have Superman show up, but it's the stunt double guy.
And then they were going to do the same thing in Wonder Woman with the dream sequence, where, again, you have the stunt double as Wonder Woman. You think it's Gal Gadot, and then they do this stupid thing where they deep fake the wizard's head onto her. And then they ever actually show up at the end, which is so obviously a reshoot. Could not be more awkward. Could not be more forced in. Like... I don't know. No, and and, and it's obvious. Uh, it's obvious if we should because she she like on her on 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 what she says she mentions God and monsters or whatever. Right. And that's what is called the first phase of the, of the, guns, of the new DC. Yeah. Of the new DC. So it's obvious that they put her there to like put that in. Oh, it's an age of God and monsters or whatever yeah. she says. And and then the last bit that's like I understand that Gunn sees Zachary Levy Levi being a good like actor for this role. So Shazam he probably wants to keep it. Right. And I could see him now getting like that character and putting it in a Suicide Squad or in a League of uh, whatever, right, whatever, whatever like, it's gonna be in. Like I said, like I said, because it, it, like I said, creature commandos, authority, war, yeah, some, all these weird, off the beaten something like that, you know. And he brings Chazam in with this character that, like, with this actor that people like him and playing that they not there for the movie, but it's another character that it's gonna be known. So I could see him like keeping Chazam because it's like. Uh, a character that I can see Gunn liking because, like, if you look at the Peacemaker and stuff, he would fit that kind of jokes and stuff would fit there. So, yeah, I think there's still a future for Shazam as a character, but we're not going to get a Shazam 3 no, ever again. No, 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 no. Not, not, not anytime soon at the very least. Definitely not in a solo outing for sure. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I feel this is the perfect one to, to wrap this off. Uh, is that, like, as, as negatively as we had talked about this movie throughout this podcast, the crazy thing is I still, in terms of like all the worlds of DC movie, right? If we're not counting the movies that they have said are not canonically within the DCU, like Joker, like the Batman, if we're not counting those movies, I still liked this movie and enjoyed this movie more than the first Shazam, Batman vs. Superman, which I still am not a fan of. I don't care how many Snyder fans try to give it to me. Otherwise, that movie is not a good movie. Black Adam, Wonder Woman 1984, the first Suicide Squad, and the the, the Whedon cut of uh, the the Whedon cut of of uh, Justice League or Justice League, as I like to call it. I still liked it better than all of those movies combined. So I don't know what that says about the quality of DC. I don't know what that says just about this movie in general. Like I said, I can say that this is probably the first movie I've seen this far so far this year that I just can't recommend to people at all. I recommend that you don't go see it if you have any interest and wanted to watch this movie at all which why would you? I don't get it after everything we see, but if you have any interest in watching this movie at all, wait for it to drop on HBO Max. I really would. I I, I barely gave the, could justify giving this movie a three stars, you know? Mostly just because Zachary Levi is still trying and he is still charming and he is still charismatic and funny, you know? No, 100%. Like, I, I also gave it a three star, uh, and especially because there's, like, some good special effects in some things. There's, like, some... Uh, interesting things they, they did with the characters, but it, it, it's just that when you put everything together, most of it doesn't gel, doesn't connect, doesn't tell a good story, and there was a lot of things there that were interesting, but uh, they never go, they never go into it in detail. They just like want to get to the next action scene, and it's just a mess. Yeah. And after watching 65, I think this was like one of the messiest movies. I would still put this above like 65. I don't know if you saw that one. I did not get a um, chance to watch that. No, I wanted to. And then I yeah. heard that, that it was really bad. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to bother with this. 
yeah, so it's still a, a little bit better, but uh, yeah, there's like just a lot of it yeah. that. Uh, and it's always work. weird because like I always get flack for giving movies that I say I don't like three stars and above, but like I I did enjoy watching it. It's just I can't recommend people go and spend money on this in a theater. I just I can't. And you know how much of an advocate I am for watching everything in theater. Yeah. This and Black Adam in in the fall. I'm like I just I can't I cannot recommend that people go. It's the same if like there was another Jurassic World that was to come out. I'm like, I cannot say that I feel comfortable telling people to go and spend money to watch this in a theater. I'm like, it is a, I'm like, as far as like having a good time and a good experience, it is a waste of money because you are not going to get that. So yeah, that, 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 that's my stance on Shazam. That's my stance on the current state of DC. We'll see what happens. Like I said, when the flash comes out, cause the flash seems to be the only one of these movies, ironically enough, that does have any promise. Um, I will say I still enjoyed that trailer. Uh, but other than that, yeah, so go watch Ted Lasso. It's still great. I feel like nobody should be surprised by that. I just wanted to give a shout-out to Ian and Eric. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. That was awesome. Um, Yolo, wow. Uh, thanks for once again for tuning in, man. No, thank you great. so much for having me. Of course. It was a blast, as always. Like I said, uh, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Yeah, you can follow us on uh, Instagram, on Yolo Movies blog, and also on TikTok. Uh, we on TikTok share more, like, videos of things that – we enjoy like interviews and stuff of actors, so you can follow us on TikTok also. Absolutely. And of course, you can follow me across all platforms Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, at Movie Nerd Reviews. Of course, as well, the official Talking TV podcast across all of those platforms. Be sure to subscribe if you're not already subscribed. Be sure to follow us on Twitch. This episode will be available to listen to on Spotify tomorrow. And as always, people, 12 scenes in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next week for the wrap up of March Madness with John Wick Chapter 4. We'll see you then. Thank you.